This podcast is brought to you by Electric Power Systems. EPS is a leading provider of high-power, scalable powertrains that are certifiable for electrified aviation. It develops energy storage systems, DC fast charging stations, and electric propulsion products for aerospace, defense, automotive, marine, and industrial traction industries. Going here. All right, everybody, welcome to this week's uh, new virtual version of the Aviation Renaissance with Spencer and Spencer. We have a great guest on today. And before we get to him, we want to give a shout out to uh, just one of our previous customers and partners that we have appreciated working with, and that's Bell. And there is some connection between Bell and our guest today, but I'll let him get to that. But today we have Scott Drennan on. And Scott, you have so many titles. Uh, we could just call you the Bellman and then the Master Advisor. I think those are going to be, and also Master Hacky Sack Man. But <laughs> I guess we've never really talked about Hacky Sack at EPS, but maybe we will at some point. But Scott, there's your crazy. I'm pretty sure I'm the best advisor hacky sacker. Ooh. I'll take the, I don't know about you know, EPS wise, but I think uh, I from the advisor standpoint, I've got that covered. Yeah, I'll <laughs> definitely give you that title for best. <laughs> Board advisor, hacky sacker. Uh, it's not, not a lot of competition. I, you know, I thought you were going to say best hacky sacker. And well, I was yeah. going to appreciate the boldness and we would have to do a competition. But well, I've had a couple good rounds. <laughs> <laughs> but go ahead, Scott, introduce yourself to the people. Sure. Well, thank you for having me, guys. This is a, a fun format. I enjoy doing these. My name is Scott Drennan. Um, I am an advisor to the board at EPS. And um, in terms of my aerospace career, I've been at it since the early 90s. I started my career at Bell Helicopter as a structures analyst, you know, it's a stress loads and fatigue, and then uh, grew up through various leadership uh, opportunities there from the chief engineer and program director on the system to a director position that uh, had uh, air vehicle integration under it, a functional director that deployed talent out to our, our programs on the military and commercial side. And then um, my, my dream job came up and that, that's actually the job period that I, I grew to know and love EPS. I was asked to be the head of our new innovation and advanced concepts group. And part of our responsibility was to develop uh, electric VTOLs. And of course, we went out to the, to the supply chain and, and looked for potential partners for our energy storage system and found EPS. I guess at that point, uh, you, you guys were hot off the success of the NASA X-57 contract and really started to build that up. And uh, we, we asked you to be a part of our Nexus program, which uh, at the time when we started was a, was a hybrid electric configuration with uh, tilting ducted fans. And then um, we also started an electric version and of course uh, kept EP systems on as our, our partner there. And I think the, you know, the relationship has grown since then. Um, I hear good things today about new projects that you're working on with, with the folks at Bell and of course uh, lots of other folks across the industry. Uh, and so that's good that um, we had a nice foundation story that's lasting. Today, you know, I'm an advisor and a consultant. I have a company called Drennan Innovation, and I've had the opportunity 
help systems um, players in the advanced air mobility and electric aviation market, as well as a couple OEMs. And I've been lucky enough to, to, to pick and choose. I, I have said to myself, I'd like to have clients that I know would be uh, a great uh, fit on an aircraft that I designed. So I kind of put myself in that mindset. And that brings me right back to, to why I'm doing what I'm doing today for EPS, because there's no one that that I would rather have on an aircraft that I was involved in to create uh, part of the electric uh, aviation revolution. So you live in San Francisco, correct? Yeah. Yes. How long have you lived out there in San Francisco? So uh, myself and the girls, I have my, my wife and my two daughters, we moved out here in July of 2020. Uh, that was um, to support my role in helping Hyundai start up their advanced air mobility division. They wanted to have some presence out here in Silicon Valley, along with some other places in the country. And that's what brought us out here. So we, we, uh, we've been uh, enjoying it. It's different than Texas. Uh, that's where <laughs> I'd spent uh, 20, 27 years. Uh, so uh, that was a big change, but the, the girls are thriving out here and they're in school and, and Ilari and I are enjoying it. I think you went, went from Texas to California. Yeah, yeah. I went the opposite way. Everyone yeah, telling me you're going the opposite way. <laughs> I think I, I, I've been to San Francisco once and I was probably 15, 16 years old. And I remember going to uh, Fisherman's Wharf. Yeah. And then... Yeah. Uh, Riding the trolleys there in San Yeah, they're still active. Yeah, we're, we live right in the middle, you know, San Fran's a seven by seven mile square city on the tip of the peninsula there. We kind of live in the middle of that square and we often go, go up north to the, to Fisherman's Wharf and, and take the trolley. What, what I noticed as it being a local, when you're, when you're a tourist and take the trolley, you just kind of go up the first part of the hill. But that trolley actually goes all the way up and, and weaves through some of the older neighborhoods in San Francisco. It's a really fun uh, way to experience part of the city. Isn't it in uh, San Francisco where they have all of the uh, like painted lady houses? Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah so there's Alamo Square. Yeah, it's a nice little park. It's very green here, lots of parks. And then uh, the painted ladies are some wonderful three, four, five examples of of really nice Victorian architecture. Cool. Yeah. So uh, let, let's travel back in time a little sure. bit. And, and let's talk about your education and how you got started in aerospace. Sure. Yeah. Well, when I was a, when I was a kid back in, in high school, grade school, I was always good at math and, and science. I, I actually, funny enough, and, and maybe all kids go through this stage, wanted to be a veterinarian, um, <laughs> but I was good at math and science. I was watching one, one day uh, a movie with Clint Eastwood called Firefox. Oh, yeah. He, he steals the Russian super plane mm -hmm. and uh, you know, takes it back to the States. And, and that was really the moment where I thought, you know, it would be really fun to learn about how machines like that, aircraft like that are made, then wouldn't it be interesting if I could work on some cool projects like that? And that inspired me to then apply uh, to the School of Engineering, to the School of Aerospace Engineering at the University of Maryland. So I went there and got my, my BS in aerospace. 
Um, I did a five-year program. Um, I'm someone that really believes in, in work is, is that which teaches you what you're capable of and what you want to do with your, with your life. So I did a co-op program and uh, that was a GE aircraft engines out in Cincinnati. So I would do a semester in at Maryland and I'd go out to Cincinnati. I had a little red Nissan pickup truck that everything in my life fit into at the time. So I'd <laughs> drive out there and, and set up shop and it was great. Had a really good experience there. They, they're the ones that originally taught me how to do finite element analysis and, and think about uh, complex structures. I was in their life extension group. So we would, we would take um, uh, new or existing uh, designs and, and do fatigue analysis on the, on the stators and the rotors and, and different com uh, components and, uh, and provide the life, the lives for those, uh, those items. Um, they, they, they really let you dig into some good work there. And I, to this day, you know, swear that that's really what landed me my first job at Bell. So 1993, you guys are probably too young to remember, but it was a tough year in aerospace. Um, you know, they, they were, GE had promised me a, a job coming out of that co-op and I was very interested in it because they had a neat, uh, a neat program to do your master's too, but then they, they couldn't support that. And so I hunkered down and um, applied to graduate school at, at Purdue and was, was going to be a research assistant doing smart structures. And in the meantime, during the summer, I, I like to help, um, like to give back a little bit. So I always, when I was at Maryland, I always worked part-time in the co-op office, helping the co-op students and the interns write their resumes and do interview training with them. And so that summer, I was kind of finishing that off and Bell rolled through and University of Maryland is one of the helicopter centers of excellence um, as named by the army at the time it was uh, Maryland, Georgia Tech, yeah, <laughs> and uh, Rensselaer. So uh, they came through, interviewed and back to my same theme, someone that believes in working rather than necessarily doing, doing all the schooling stuff. And so I took that job uh, when Bell offered it to me and reneged on the, the research assistant position at Purdue and headed down to, to Texas. <laughs> That's uh, what, what uh, platforms, I, you said you worked yeah. with the military. Yes, yeah. Or Bell. My first platform, oh, sorry, go ahead, Spencer. No, I was just gonna say, um, what platforms have have Bell made for the military? Yeah, so uh, first program I worked for was the on on was the V twenty two. So that's a, a twenty four packs or so uh, tilt rotor for the Marine Corps, and now also the Navy and the Air Force in uh, some smaller quantities. But they've got that. Bell is also famous, more famous from a legacy standpoint for the Cobra and the Huey. So if you remember back to your your Vietnam days, you've got the classic Cobra attack helicopter and the, and the utility helicopter, which today are still world-class platforms, but they're called the H1. So you've got the same Cobra and Huey um, look, but now they have four blades, two engines each, and they share 75 to 80% part commonality. So you can pull a tail boom and tail rotor or a rotor head off of a Cobra, put it on a Huey now, 
and the Marine Corps still loves that platform. Then on the Army side, of course, uh, and, and you might know this, Spencer, we were we did the Kiowa Warriors. The oh, yeah. Creates an awesome, uh, you know, light light attack and renaissance, uh, re re reconnaissance helicopter. The OH-58 um, Delta. That's right, man. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> A close variant to our commercial 407, which I was one of the first aircraft I worked on over there. Um, and uh, so that's another great one. Then uh, recently, big Army opportunities in the form of the uh, future vertical lift. So Bell offers the V-280 to the long range um, uh, assault vehicle, the Flora. Yep. And then they offer the, uh, the 360, the Invictus, so it's the V280 Valor and the and the 360 Invictus for the the smaller reconnaissance replacement. So those are big opportunities over there. And I, I've worked on all of those uh, platforms in different levels. You know, V22. I was a individual contributor, doing my stress hacks and and working on the loads problems. Um, when I I did some uh, same thing as a contractor for Bell on the on the H1 program. And then for the V280 and Invictus, that was more when I was a, a director deploying talent to those programs. So I had a you know stake in all of our all of our programs. So uh, air vehicle integration, I had the air I had the airframe designers, I had aircraft systems folks, electrical, and and some of the flight control folks, and then I had manufacturing liaison as well. So we had this crew of 300 engineers or so. And myself and my managers would figure out how to deploy them as as required to the programs, uh, depending on what needs they had for staffing and and problem solving. So that V twenty two is the Osprey, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've I've ridden on that once or twice. Have you? Oh, excellent. Yeah, I was. Not, I haven't done that. What was yeah. the context? Well, at Joint Base Lewis McCord, when I was in Ranger Battalion, we used to they would fly in the V twenty twos. And then our two Ranger sticks would get on and we would do jumps out of the 22 Ospreys. Sweet. I didn't know that about you, man. That's great. Yep. And oh, then I'm proud to have that connection with you. Someone that both two people have worked the aircraft then. Yeah. So um, also with the OH-58 Delta, when I was in Iraq up in uh, Kirkuk, northern Iraq, uh -huh. um, we didn't have Apaches for support. Okay. We had we had OH-58 and we had OH-58 Deltas. Nice. And there was several times that we would call in for close air support. And all we had was the, the Kiowa. Yeah. And the, the call sign of the pilot was Black Widow. Oh, okay. And <laughs> um, she used to come in and save my bacon more than once. <laughs> <laughs> and uh i finally got a meter in the chow hall one time i walked in i heard somebody say black widow i looked over and i went over and talked to her and my my call sign at the time was shadow three nice and i walked over to her and i and i just said thank you and she was like thanks for what and i was like this is shadow three and she was like oh boy i pulled you <laughs> out of some uh some hairy situations and and those Kiowas, those OH-58s, man. Yeah, I know they're mostly for reconnaissance, but they can lay light, their best down too. Yeah, yeah, yep. they're they're good stuff. Yeah, hey, that that um, you, you're familiar then with the um, the rocket pod and oh. the arm that it comes out on the side. Well, yes, I, sir. I, 
Yeah, I worked on the 407 program. We were trying to convert that to what was called the ARH, was an early development program on the on for the Army. And I was still an individual contributor at the time, and I was responsible for hanging that on the 407. So I had to reinforce some of the structure around the around the belly and the door. You know what's really funny about that rocket pod? Before no, I was in Ranger Battalion, I was on the bomb squad. Oh, really? And been many a times that we got some misfires coming out of that rocket pod, and we had to go out and pull those uh, 2.36 inch millimeter rockets that come out of it. Yeah. And we'd have to take them out and go and dispose of them. Wow, that's not a that's not a fun job. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. I got to make things go boom. Okay, good. Well, as long as you're being safe, that's great. Well, this I remind me, you know, you guys about how you know you're just making me think. And I used to love that part of Bell where you know you were contributing to the to the warfighters' safety and and performance, and and really this applies to to aviation in general. One thing about aviation is there's always somebody's life on one end of the trip, you know, or all the way in between. And it's so important for us to think about that at, at EPS or wherever we're working. Um, so I, I love that story you just told Spencer and it, it just reminded me of the, the importance of what we do every day. Well, I think it's because what we're trying to do with electric aviation. If you get on an airplane right now, it doesn't matter what kind of platform it is, you really have no worries, right? Because of the impeccable safety rating of the aerospace industry. Yeah. And so with electric aviation, we don't want people to get on whatever platform they're getting on, be it fixed, rotor, VTOL, whatever. They don't, we don't want them to think about this thing is powered by batteries. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing we want them to think about is this is going to be a less expensive way for me to get from point A to point B. That's right. Yeah. Make everything else table safety, performance. And then to your point, you know, where the economics are, are better, we, we start to just get more and more people in the air. I mean, fo folks like us that have been around aviation it's kind of second nature for us to use it in our lives, um, but not, not a lot of people get that chance. Uh, one of the statistics that I learned from you guys was it's only 20% of the world's population that gets to use the air as a means of mobility. And if we can reduce the price and to your point, keep it as safe as or more as before so nobody thinks about that, with performance at the at the, the appropriate level for the mission, then gosh, that, that just changes the world. Uh, it really so, does. So to that point though, Scott, <clears throat> the big question then, because with conventional, we've proved that, right? You're, you know, going back to the Chinook, you know, for helicopters, for for our jet engine aircrafts too. We've we've proved the safety. What how do we prove the eVTOL, the electric vertical and takeoff yeah. and landing safety, especially to those who've been in the aerospace industry for so long, who are very, let's say, pessimistic that not yeah. only is it not going to happen, but it's not going to be safe. Well, I always start with, um, you know, because I geek out a little bit, but first of all, respect the physics, right? Um, you know, physics is a cruel taskmaster, but if you understand her boundaries, you can understand where you can go. Now, there's always opportunity to be, you know, a risk taker in that. 
but it, it's really not about stepping over that boundary because you'll, you'll soon find that you can't. It's about stepping as close as possible, you know, as you, with your own personal and team courage and, and bringing that opportunity to life. Now, when you're up there against that boundary, the very next thing you have to think about because it's aviation is the safety case. You know, we, we have to start everything in an off nominal. You know, what happens if we have thermal runaway? What happens if we lose a string or what happens if we lose a motor or there's some other contingency? Have we thought about how to design the system reliably or using redundancy to get to reliability? Uh, and I think, that, so those are the first two things that, that have to happen. Um, the other part is, You've got you've got to believe, right? Um, there are a lot of engineers out there and people in our industry love to work the day-to-day problem. You know, I call it kind of incremental innovation, which is very valuable to to everything we do, making small steps to to progress a given technology. The things that that EPS and the EVTOL and ECTOL world is working on are are more advanced innovation. You know, more radical innovation. Um, so there's a courage component that I like to talk about a lot when you do that. And the best way to find courage is, of course, you know, first internally, whether you have, you know, a spiritual connection or family connections that bring that out in you. But then second, get it from your team. I mean, you know, we got we got Spencer on here who's been in situations that re- require tons of courage, maybe in a business setting. You need to turn to someone like that and say, man, I'm afraid to do this. What can I do? You know, if you, so you bring it out in yourself, then bring it out in the team. And then those doubts that you have about, oh, it's really hard to figure out the certification. It's really hard to figure out the infrastructure. They just get slowly but surely whittled away and you, you arrive at a solution. Now it's irresponsible to kind of think about stuff that's way too far away and, and present it like we can do this in two years. And, but that's not what we're doing in electric aviation. We've got, you know, battery uh, packs now with specific energy and cost points, cycle life, safety records that can, can really, you know, drive some of these aircraft form the, the basis of the powertrain. Uh, so it's, it's the most important part. And, and uh, look, we're, you know, some of these folks are flying around already. So we're proving that, the, uh, the physics are there and the technology is there. Now we have to do the CERT piece and the infrastructure piece. And I just think no matter what the skeptics say, let's go back to, we are gonna be able to do, you know, 30 to 40% uh, you know, more economically eff- eff- efficient aircraft in the electric space. How many new people get on aircraft now? whether if it's an eVTOL moving through traffic in these different cities, or like when I come and visit you guys in North Logan, I just dream about the moment where I get off the plane in Salt Lake, hop on an electric uh, DA-40, an EDA-40, and, and come up the valley to, to Logan, um, North Logan there. So that's what I wanna do. And I, I'm sure there's lots of people that are thinking about that. So that's what's gonna push it through. The society, you know, communities are gonna start asking for it. Capable folks like ourselves are going to push the technology to safely where it can go, and then it'll it'll really blossom from there. I'll tell you guys a story that you're reminding me of from the V22, as uh, Spencer is bringing that up. 
back to when we were working on it in the early 90s was my first exposure. It's a little older than that. But the thing we knew was it could go twice as far, twice as fast. And from just a pure engineering level, that's enough to kind of move ahead on a program. But we never discovered how different that platform really was until the operators had it, until the warfighters had it. Then all of a sudden, you knew what twice as far, twice as fast meant. And I think there's a, an analog here in the electric aviation space. You know, people look at it today and say, wow, I, I, it's impressive, 30 to 40% less cost. And it's also clean and green to operate, but you don't really know what it means to you until you got the operators moving people and goods around. So I'm looking forward to that, those moments where we truly discover the potential. Well, I, if you look at the the V22 Osprey, I mean that that is technology far ahead and advanced for its time. Not only is it a vertical takeoff and then it can go, but it folds into a very yeah. tight, compact it does platform, so you can put it on an aircraft carrier and you can put several of yeah. them on there. Um, I kind of want to go back a little bit to what you said about having people that have the courage to take that step forward sure yeah and i think it's um uh electric power systems has done a very very good job at gathering those groups of people that have innovation mindset have the courage to venture into the unknown because that's what we're doing right now yep and, and they work well as a team together. Everybody in there has the same vision yep. and uh, wants to make this go forward. Yeah, I totally agree. And that, you know, I think, I hope I've told you guys before, and I'd love to tell the, the broader group at EPS this anytime, especially as you're growing. Uh, but I often tell the story uh, of, you know, why we as a team when, when I was at Bell selected EPS. And you know, people always assume that, okay, there's a technical spec, there's a commercial spec, and if you hit those, uh, you're gonna win. And sometimes that's true, but sometimes there might be two suppliers or three p- potential partners who have relatively similar technical specs and relatively similar commercial specs. So what makes the difference? So go back to my situation. I start, I'm starting up a new group at Bell. I'm, I'm afraid, right? Cause I'm taking risk. I'm trying to develop new platforms. So I have one system of support as, as the leader of a team. And of course I gotta be one of the people that's not demonstrating fear, but leading people through that. But you also look for other places to get that support from. And that's how EPS was. They were ready to step up and take that risk with me, you know, face that fear with us as a team. And you can't underestimate the profound effect that something like that can have on your customer. Because these things feel like technological projects, programs, wonders that we're working on. But remember, there's always the human aspect behind it, the teaming, 
you know, the individual pods that form up to get stuff done, um, the tough times and, and, and great times that we, we um, you know, have to endure together or celebrate together. So that, that was a huge thing. And, and your entire team from Nate all the way down to everybody who's working any aspect of the project was right there with us when we, we stepped out into the public with it, when we switched over from hybrid to electric, when you know any challenges was were fit, were coming up from adjacent suppliers, EPS always stepped into that that void there to see if they could solve a problem with us. So that that's a that's as big a thing as your technical specs and commercial specs. And I I, I hope no one no one there forgets about that part of it. Um, they don't. And Scott, it has been wonderful to have you on. Thanks. We want to have you on again because I think that we could probably do a whole series of Scott Drennan. <laughs> and uh, we'll definitely have you on again. But right now we're kind of running out of time. All right. Next time you're in town, you got to do some uh, hacky sack with us because you are the best advisor hacky sacker that we have, <laughs> even with your cowboy boots on. That's right. <laughs> um. Thanks everybody for tuning in this week. Don't forget to go check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You can go to epsenergy.com and follow our link tree there. We're always hiring. We're looking for young, talented, not just young, any talented individuals that want to be part of what we're doing at EPS. Thanks everybody for tuning in and we will see you next time. Thanks guys. Great. This podcast was brought to you by Electric Power Systems. EPS is a leading provider of high-voltage, high-power, certifiable electric power systems for high-reliability applications. Its mission is to power transportation's electric renaissance by providing smarter, safer, more reliable, lighter, and certifiable batteries.